Hey, last night we had an interesting experience. Some of you may have heard about it. Uh, we were in here rehearsing for our 6 o'clock Saturday night service, and about 5.15, all the power went out. And uh, so we had to shift, move, and come up with a plan. We ended up in the sanctuary with a generator and a floodlight and a microphone, and that was about it. Uh, it was a great night of worship, uh, just a, a great opportunity for us to gather together, and we just rolled with it and went with it. We were excited that the power was on this morning and going, all right? We're excited that we're here this morning. I believe that we can all agree that there is great power in our words. Sometimes we use words, and we use them in ways that are more powerful than others. One of those words that has great meaning at times and at other times has even a more powerful meaning is a really simple word, and it's the word yes. Yes means what? You can say it out loud. Yes, right? It's an affirmative. It is the opposite of no. Synonyms are positive, affirmative. Uh, as I was preparing, I looked up the synonyms for the word uh, yes, and one of them was I. I used that on National Talk Like a Pirate Day, and that was the last time I used that one, okay? Someone uh, can, can text me, my wife can text me and say, honey, can you pick up a few things at the grocery store? And I can respond with a yes, just a simple affirmative. But on November 20th, 1993, the word yes changed my future. You see, up until November 20th, 1993, I was a single guy. 19, 1993, November 20th, was the day that after several months of dating, I had made the decision that I was going to propose to Emily Tucker. We were students at Mars Hill College. We were juniors there, uh, and we had been dating for several months. I'd gone and spoke with her parents and gotten permission, and so I had figured out this whole day. And guys, let me just tell you, it was a good plan, all right? We went from Mars Hill to Asheville, which is about 30 minutes, and we went into town, and we uh, we went to Biltmore and walked around Biltmore for the day. Then we went to Biltmore Village, which has all these little quaint shops. And my wife was about to graduate <clears throat> with her degree in elementary education. So I took her to a children's bookstore, right? Smooth, right? Real smooth. So I took her to a children's bookstore, let her pick out a book because, you know, we could remember the day with the book. I mean, it was all planned. So we went to this super nice dinner and we began our drive back and it was dark. And I remember I had a box underneath my seat and it had a ring in it. And I remember all the way back to Mars Hill, reaching under my seat, making sure the box was still there. Reaching under my seat, making sure the box was still there. I mean, I was nervous. There was a lot of money underneath that seat. And so I was driving. I was nervous. I was sweating. I was just, oh, can I do this? And the setup was this. We were going to go to an amphitheater on campus because when we first started dating, we, we took a date where we took a camera, where we snapped pictures, and you'd get it developed. Some of you know what those are, right? And you get it developed, and you get the pictures back. And one of the pictures that we took as a joke was me proposing to her on one knee in this amphitheater. It was, it was a funny moment. So I decided that'll be the place to take her back to. So we'll get there. It's dark. A friend had put a flashlight and a blanket there for me to kneel down on. And I got down on one knee, and I turned the flashlight on. I gave the world's best speech ever. Romantic, poetic. I don't remember what I said, actually. I just remember the, the magical question came out of my mouth, and it was this, will you marry me? Now, you know what? I didn't want a paragraph answer. A paragraph answer is bad news in that moment, right? <laughs> a sentence may be bad news in that moment. I wanted one word, and what was that word? Yes. yes. As simple as a text message, yes, yes. 
But the same power? Absolutely not. Yes, in that moment from Emily, which she did say, and almost 24 years later, here we are, and God is just continuing to guide us and lead us. I'm so thankful for that moment that she said yes. But that yes changed my moment, and that yes changed my future, all with three simple letters. And that yes is still a yes. Because every day that we wake up and every day that we continue on in this marriage, we're saying yes again. We may not look at each other. I may not ask you the question, but there's a moment where it's a yes every single day. It was a yes then. It was a completed moment, but it was a yes that continued and still continues to say yes. In the Old Testament, in the New Testament, there's one word that has that power and even a greater power. There's one word that we're going to focus most of our morning on this morning. And I usually don't do this, but I need to do this for us this morning. It's a Greek word, and it's the word to telestai. Now, if you want to impress some friends this week, you can brush up on your Greek, all right? To telestai. And, and what's interesting about this word is it means it is finished and will continue to be finished. And here's why this word is so powerful. This word is so powerful because it's written in a certain tense. Now, you grammar folks in the room, you love grammar, get your pencils out, get your pens out, get your phones out, all right? It's a great word because it's in a tense called the perfect tense. Now, we don't have this same type of tense in our language, but what it does is it supercharges a word. In Greek, our language and the English language don't mesh all the time, but there's a, a moment, several moments in Scripture where words are put in this tense, and here's what it means. When a word is used in this verb tense, it means whatever is happening then is done and that same word and what it defines as being done in the future. And so the word to telestai means to complete, to be done, to be finished. It is finished in the moment and it is finished for the future. It is a both and, it is a supercharged word for us to try to get our minds around. Now, in English, again, one word to telestai in Greek becomes three words, it is finished. And really, if you want to put notes in your Bible and you want to include everything, that definition that I had up there would be a more complete picture of that, to telestai. It is finished and it will continue to be finished. So we're going to get to that word in just a moment. But I want to take you to several passages of Scripture that are going to lead us there. And it is found in the midst of the story that this week represents the week of Easter, the death and the resurrection of Jesus. John chapter 19, verse 1 through 6. says, Then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. The soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. They came up to him saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and struck him with their hands. Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I am bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no guilt in him. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, and Pilate said to them, Behold the man. When the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, Crucify him! 
crucify him. And Pilate said to them, take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. Now, the process continues. You continue to read John chapter 19. But what takes place from that moment forward is the Romans, in just a few moments in Scripture, they take the lead in crucifixion. And they were professionals at this absolutely horrible method of punishment called crucifixion. The Roman guards and Roman soldiers knew how to take a criminal punished and given the consequence of crucifixion. They knew how to take someone, flog them, beat them, rip their flesh off to the point that they knew when to stop in order to keep them alive to the moment that they wanted to keep them alive all the way to the cross. They would take someone to the verge of death, stripping off their flesh, keeping them alive till just that moment. But also understand, when that takes place to a person, that also takes place to any type of self-worth. Any type of stance of who you are. The victim is stripped of everything. And this was what Jesus went through. They would take Jesus to Golgotha, for his crucifixion. They would gamble for his clothing, which fulfills the prophecies again of the Old Testament. Jesus would then, from the cross, interact with his mother, who was there at the cross. In John chapter 19, verse 26 says this, when Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciples, behold your mother. From that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. After this, knowing that all was finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there, so they took a sponge full of sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said to Telestai. He said, it is finished and he bowed his head and gave up his spirit now again in this moment make sure that you take what we brief lesson we took from tetelestai and we put it in this moment this it is finished moment what jesus was saying is that what was taking place in that moment was finished then and it was finished for all eternity it was a completed act in the moment and a completed act there forward. So the question I think we need to ask about this moment from Jesus and this moment from Scripture is what is finished? It is finished. Well, what is finished? I want us to look at three specific things this morning about what is finished in this moment on the cross. What is finished through the death and the life and the resurrection of Jesus Christ? I want to start in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, God had set a standard for priests and the spiritual leaders of the people of Israel, and it was a system of sacrifices. And they had sacrifices for everything, folks. Hebrews tells us this. It says, For every high priest chosen among men is appointed to act on the behalf of men in relation to God to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward, since he himself is beset with weakness. 
Because of this, he's obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins, just as he does for those of the people. So every community would have a priest, and specifically the Old Testament, the, the believers, the Israelites, those that were children of God, wanted to take their sacrifices, if they could, at all possible, to take those to Jerusalem. And periodically, they would take a sacrifice. They would take a grain offering. They would take a burnt offering. They would take a sin offering. They would take a peace offering. And over and over, they had this complex system of sacrifices. I am so glad that that system has been done away with with Jesus for several reasons. One of them is just extremely practical. I really am glad that sacrifice system doesn't happen and you guys aren't bringing me your lamb and sheep for sacrifices. I got to tell you. I mean, can you imagine how awkward this morning would be? If once a year, the head of your home would bring a sacrifice to the priest, and the priest and that person would lay hands on that sacrifice and let the blood of that, the priest would take that into and make a sacrifice to cover your sins, and next year you do it all over again. Whew, I like my job a lot better. I'm also exceptionally glad of this. Because when Jesus ended the sacrificial system, what he was saying was he became a payment for the sins once and for all. Grasp this. When Jesus offered himself as a payment for sin upon the cross, he became the sacrifice. The system from that point forward was fulfilled and finished. And so Jesus, on the cross, says, it is finished. It is finished now, it is finished in the future. What's finished? The sacrificial system that you had to do every single year for peace offerings, for cleansing offerings, for different types of grain offerings and tithes and offerings. You bring a sacrifice. Scripture tells us when Jesus became a sacrifice, he became a sacrifice once and for all. Hebrews chapter 10 says, and every priest stands daily at his service. So every priest, daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifice, which can never take away the sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he was made perfect for all time, those who are being sanctified. Do you catch that? He made a single offering offering when jesus was on the cross he became the sacrificial lamb to cover the sins of all mankind from that point and all the way future it is finished to tell us die what's finished the system of sacrifices is finished it's no longer about a system grasp this this morning it's no longer from that point forward it's no longer about a system it's about a savior but there's so much more. What else is finished? Before the crucifixion of Jesus, there's the arrest of Jesus. So we're backing up a little bit. Days before the crucifixion, Jesus is arrested. He's in a garden. He's there to pray. He's got his disciples with him. He's asking his friends, hey guys, can you pray for me while I go spend time with my father in prayer? His disciples fall asleep. Jesus is agonizing. Jesus is about to become the sacrifice for the sins of all mankind. And only Jesus can grasp. 
Only Jesus can feel the weight of what he is about to endure. He's agonizing about what's happening. He's, he alone can grasp the weight of our sins, of our filth, of our shame, of our despair. And he's going to end the sacrificial system once and for all, Scripture says. But there's something that's recorded here that I want us to see for a moment because I want us to see the heaviness of this moment in the garden and then attach it to the cross. In Luke chapter 22, verse 44, it says this about Jesus. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly and his sweat became like drops of blood falling down to the ground. Now this is a medical condition called hematidrosis. It's been proven that can take place. Uh, what occurs is when someone undergoes extreme intentional, I mean an extreme intense emotional stress and strain, the capillary vessels in your face, sometimes in your nostrils and inside your eyes, believe it or not, begin to rupture and blood begins to come forth to the skin sometimes coming out of the sweat glands and sweating tears of blood jesus is in the garden he knows that the weight of sin is about to be poured out on one man and he's about to be the sacrifice he's agonizing he's praying he's begging he's coming to god and say remove this from me his disciples have left him alone they're asleep He's all alone and he's crying to the point and the stress to the point that he's crying tears of blood. About four weeks ago, I was somewhere else listening to someone else preach and the entirety of their message was on this passage almost in Luke chapter 22, verse 44. And he shared a, an illustration that I, I could not not share with you this morning. He was sharing that one of his pastors and he were talking about this moment in the life of Jesus, hematidrosis. And he said, I, I just can't come up with a way to get people to get this. And he said, well, I do. And the pastor shared this story. The pastor's a father, three children. He and his children and wife one day went to a community pool. They went to the pool, had a great day, packing all up, kids in tow, headed out, community pool at that time of the, the night, they didn't have a lifeguard, they packed up, they headed out, got to the van, dad turns around, one, two, third child not there. The father takes back off looking for his youngest son. He runs into the pool area and he sees to his whore at the bottom of the pool face down his five-year-old. He jumps in the pool, grabs his son out, begins to revive him. He's resuscitated. He's alive. EMS comes. He seems to be doing great. Everything is going well. The EMS said, hey, we, we need to observe him overnight. The father says, okay. So they follow him to the hospital. The little boy's doing fine. Story doesn't end there, but the little boy's fine, okay? He's good. Still alive. Still has three sons. But the father says to the doctor, he said, is everything going to be okay? He said, everything checks out good. And he said, the dad says, well, can you tell me something? Can you tell me about these red splotches all over his face? And he said, oh, well, the best I can tell is that he suffered from hematidrosis. And he said, what is that? And he said, well, my best guess is that when your son was drowning, 
he began to scream and yell for somebody, anybody, to save him. To the point that his little capillaries in his face began to rupture in agony. When you come and you read that Jesus cried tears of blood, understand the agony and the weight of that moment. This is a Savior who knows He's about to endure the cross. This is a Savior who knows He's about to endure for the payment of sins. And when Jesus is in the garden, He is there, He's agonizing, He's pleading. And I share this with you to give you the full weight that when Jesus had received the wine, He said, it is finished. And He bowed His head and gave up His spirit. That you understand it and in that tetelestai moment, what's finished? The consequence, the payment, the weight of sin has now been removed and it's been removed through a sacrifice for the moment and for all times. And let me tell you how weighty it is that the Savior, days before it took place, knew the weight and cried tears of blood. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. goes on in Romans 5, verse 8. It says, But God showed His love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by His blood, much more shall we be saved by Him from the wrath of God. What is finished? The system of sacrifice is finished. What is finished? Sin and death. Sin and death has been conquered. Doesn't mean we don't go through struggles. Doesn't mean that we don't have faced temptations. But for eternity, sin and death have been conquered. The payment, Scripture says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. There is a payment that had to be made, and it had to be made through a sacrifice, and if it wasn't Jesus, it was going to be you. For the payment of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Jesus knew full well when he went to the cross that he would endure. He knew the time was now. He knew the sacrifice was now. He knew that without payment for sins once and for all, he knew what would take place to humanity. He took it upon, his cro- upon himself. Jesus came out of heaven. Scripture tells us that Jesus was before all things and is all things. He left his place out of heaven, came to a broken, sinful world, and became a sacrifice to end the system, but to also put an end to sin and death for every single one of us in this room today. It is finished. Will you trust Jesus as a Savior who conquered sin and death and the the promises of heaven? We can't take this lightly. Now please, listen to me. Don't minimalize the death of Jesus by believing that there's more than one way to heaven. And let me just speak to that for just a moment. 
Let's get real for a moment. Do you think that Jesus Christ, who now that you've seen what he endured in the garden, and now that you've experienced for a moment what he's endured upon the cross, do you think a Savior who's going to be willing to grieve himself to the point of tears, place himself upon a cross, be placed in the tomb, and yes, raised on the third day, but before that he's going to be flogged, crucified to death, and at some point in history, Jesus says, yeah, just pick another way. It wasn't that big of a deal. Choose another path. That's difficult when Jesus himself says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. And please don't minimalize this from the hand in the picture of a glimpse of a God who loves you enough to send his only son for your sinfulness. And how dare we say to a holy God, hey God, I know you sent your only son and he suffered and he died a painful, excruciating death, but I'll tell you what, there's about a dozen other ways and I think I'm going to pick another one. It is finished. Have you trusted this Jesus as your Savior? I've personally chosen to trust Jesus as a Savior knowingly, willingly, humbly, who suffered and died and stared sin and death in the faith and said, face and said, it is finished. It is finished now on the cross and it is finished for all time. What is finished sin and death? Colossians 2 says, and you who were what? What's underlined there? Say that with me. You who were what? Dead in your trespasses and uncircumcision of your flesh. God made what? Alive together with him having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it on the cross. It is finished. He disarmed the rulers and the authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. What is finished? Death has no victory. Hell has no sting. Sin and death are what's finished. The system of sacrifice is what is finished. And after triumphing over death and the grave and the naysayers and the skeptics, we have this in Scripture from the Gospel of Luke. But on the first day of the week at early dawn, they went to the tomb taking the spices they had prepared they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, that's a kind of an underline moment. <laughs> I love these moments. They were kind of perplexed about this, I'd say. Behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but he is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of a sinful man and be crucified and on the third day rise? And they remember these words and returning to the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and all to the rest. Now, the Gospels all tell this moment from different perspectives and for different reasons. Mary comes to the tomb. She experiences this. She goes and called by name from a risen Savior. It's finished, Mary. It is finished. Death has been defeated. The disciples, later time, they, they encounter Jesus. He comes into their midst, and they look at his hands. They look at his side, and he's saying, hey, guys, it's finished. I've conquered sin and death. 
Not just on the cross, but through the resurrection. It is finished on the cross. It is finished every day. So disciples, now that you know that it's finished, let's get to work. Now that you know that it has been conquered, let's share this with others. But there's something else that's finished. Our searching, our striving, and our comparing in attempt to be good enough is finished. Your searching, your striving, and your comparing yourself to someone else, to somebody in your family, to someone else on a magazine cover, to someone else that pops up on your screen, your comparing in attempt to be good enough, it's over. You can stop. Isn't that relieving this morning? You can stop comparing yourself. You can stop searching. You can stop trying to work your way up the ladder and say, you know what? I'm just going to rest in who I am and where I am and how God has created me. Why? Because it's finished. To tell us die. Once on the cross and for all time. Because it is finished, you can stop living your life and I can stop living my life in comparison to someone else. And don't think that preachers don't do it. Preachers are the worst. How many do you have in attendance? I have this many. How do you have in attendance? I got preachers in my family. We're going to have lunch later on today. It's going to be like a comparison contest, right? Guys, it's finished. It doesn't matter who you had or who you didn't have. It's finished because of what Jesus did on the cross for your sins. It's Jesus. It's, it's finished because of what Jesus did for the future. It's finished. And you can stop depending on yourself to be good enough. You will never be good enough on your own without a Savior. Not a system, not a sacrifice of system, a system of sacrifices, but through Jesus on the cross. Tim Keller says this, Jesus was saying of the work underneath your work, the thing that makes you really weary. This need to prove yourself because who you are and what you are And what you do are never going to be good enough. It's finished. And back to that passage in Colossians. You you read two words, dead, alive. Jesus Christ did not come for the primary purpose to make sick people healed. That happened. Jesus did not suffer in anguish to make good people better. Jesus did not cry tears of blood and allow himself to be placed on a cross to suffer and to die, conquering sin to make good people better. It is finished to make dead people alive. And that is me, and that is you. While we were still sinners, while we were still dead in our sins, Christ offered himself and we can be alive. Christ did not suffer so that we could simply say, well, she's a little bit better than me, and he's a little bit better than me, and I wish I could be... Stop. Stop searching. Stop striving. Stop comparing. It's finished. You will never find another religion. You will never find another faith, another example of one person in history, another more verifiable compilation of words that we have in Scripture. You will never find peace in trusting in your own self. Why? Because it is already finished. You don't have to measure up to what your parents deem as successful or your boss. You don't have to slap a smile on your way into church on a Sunday morning just because the people in front of you did. 
Because it is finished, you don't have to. And if the truth be spoken today, it is finished, and therefore you can't. It's done. It's paid in full. Defeated death, and there for you to trust. It is finished. The system now met a Savior. Sin and death came to an end. Our searching and our striving and our comparing in attempt to be good enough, it is finished.